Uh, Please stand for the reading of God's word and turn to John chapter 13, verse 33. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now. Where I'm going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, Where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. I believe also, you believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do not know him and have seen him, Philip said. Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I thought you did a very good job. Uh, Happy Memorial Day weekend, and congratulations for being here. I think... uh, I'm not sure what the exact uh, protocol is, but I'm pretty sure you get extra credit for being here on Memorial Day. And the fact that you're here for service, that's like extra credit and gold star. So uh, thank you for being here. Um, This morning, we're going to close this series that Dave has been taking us through for, I think, almost five months called Encountering Jesus. Um, It's been amazing. And uh, Dave, man, watching him and and listening to him and being taught by him has been a a huge blessing. I think you'll agree. So I'm so grateful that he's able to get a couple of weeks off um, to just be refreshed. And um, so I know that we're continuing to pray for him. But one of the things I love about Dave when he teaches is he's just so, he's got such a gentle spirit about him. And um, it's as if as he's teaching, you know, he's got this sort of, like, he's hiding in the, the sword of the Spirit right here. And as he's teaching, it's just kind of, you know, sharpening the sword a little bit and, uh, you know, just making his points and it's compelling. And then at some point, he just kind of, like, gently puts his arm around his shoulder and just, like, jabs the sword of the Spirit, right? And you're like, oh, thank you. I needed that. I'm so grateful for that. Um, 
but a true gift, and we're, we're super grateful for him. Um, uh, my name is Brian Lucas. I'm an elder here. This has been our church home for, oh my gosh, a long time, 20 plus years. Um, I have a little bit of a different style than Dave, I'll be honest. I'm kind of more of a, a, a shock and awe, you know, sort of, I get, I get a little disruptive at times by communication. Um, so uh, that's probably why they only asked me to do this like once every 20 years, I think is the last time that I spoke. Um, and, uh, and actually last time I spoke, I didn't have reading glasses. I'm going to have to use those. Um, but here's, here's what I want us to experience this morning together. Um, the same Jesus that we learned about over the last five months and the encounters that we all learned about in Scripture and that we heard stories of people in our congregation um, of God doing amazing things through his son in the pages of Scripture in the lives of the people that attend our church is the exact same Jesus who is here this morning. He's the exact same Jesus that will, dis- darn it, I'm gonna get this out, that will disrupt your life for good. It's the same good news. He is just as powerful. And in the scriptures, we've, we are hearing from him and his own words that he will do even more uh, through his people. The same Jesus that we learned about these encounters is the same Jesus that will meet you this morning. And our capacity for encounters with Jesus is, di- is directly related to the point at which it rubs up against the areas that actually define our security and our identity. So the areas where Jesus wants to encounter, wants to have an encounter with us, we're open to that until the point where it just actually disrupts our expectations of what it means to follow Jesus. And up until that point, we want more Jesus. Give me more. And once it gets to that point, it's like, I think I've had enough of that Jesus. But that is the, precisely the point where you need the encounter with Jesus, and I do as well. And we're going to learn from this story, which I love. The Bible is so great. It's so great. Um, there's this incredible interaction that happens. <laughs> um, what, what happens with these disciples, I want to give you the biblical context before we sort of move into your personal encounter with Jesus. Um, it's amazing that the same issue that we have, the disciples had. And it goes all the way back to when James and John in Matthew 20, 20 and also in Mark, um, they have this exchange with Jesus. And they, they come up to Jesus and they said, you know, we're you know, brothers and would you mind, like, when you establish your kingdom, can we sit on your right and left-hand side? And Jesus is like, you guys have no idea what you're asking me. And so that's the account in, Math, in uh, Mark. Now you go to the book of Matthew, it's the same exchange, but you know who's asking the question? Their mom. So James and John's mom in Matthew is the one that's asking Jesus if her boys can be on the left and right-hand side. So you know, those guys are called, James and John are called the sons of thunder. We've always thought that thunder was like Zebedee. They're the sons of Zebedee. I think, honestly, the son, they're called sons of thunder because of their mom. <laughs> she was like the original helicopter mom. She was the thunder mom. Um, I love that. But it, what it shows is the expectation that both James and John and their mom had 
was that Jesus was going to establish his kingdom on earth and reclaim Jerusalem as sort of the point of this kingdom. It was going to be this kingdom that was going to be reestablished in that location. And it was both right and wrong. And we see that continued with the question that uh, Peter asks, we just heard, you know, Peter says, Jesus, I'll follow you. I'll lay down my life for you. And what does Jesus say? You cannot follow me where I'm going. Jesus, I will lay down my life. Peter, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So what Peter is expressing in that moment is an expectation of what he thought the kingdom was going to look like. And Jesus responded back, you don't know what you're asking. You can't follow me where I'm going, and you will deny me three times. And then, of course, Thomas, who we, we know is doubting Thomas. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And Thomas says, well, wait a minute. We don't know where you're going, so how do we know how to get there? Same question. It's an expectation. Thomas wanted certainty. He's thinking, tell me, you know, up until this point, they're thinking that Jesus is going to be the physical king in Jerusalem. Just recently in 13, he had washed their feet. He said, I no, I no longer call you um, students. You're now my friends. And so they're starting to develop this expectation of what life is going to look like with Jesus in this new kingdom. And as a part of that, they're going to be, in their minds, the new ruling class that will unseat the, the pharisaical religious leaders and the Roman political rulers. So they're going to be the new ruling class around Jesus and establish this kingdom for Israel and unseat the Jews, the pharisaical Jews, and the Roman political system. And with that comes, I think, what probably James and John's mom was asking for. Power, prosperity, sense of control. And I want to just suggest to you this morning that we actually want the same thing. That the kingdom that we think Jesus is providing for us is a kingdom of power, prosperity, and control. And it's not. It's honestly the exact opposite. And so this encounter that we are being drawn into uh, rubs up against our own expectation. And our willingness to encounter him as he is ends at the point where it disrupts our little kingdoms and our little expectations. And so this morning, my prayer, actually, this, since I've been preparing this, has been that Jesus would gently and authoritatively disrupt your expectation of what it means to follow him. And I also want to just acknowledge, as Jesus does with Philip, which I think encapsulates all of these expectations that I'm describing, that have you been with me for so long, Philip, and you still don't know me? And so our intimate knowledge and relationship of God in the flesh, in the person of Jesus, is directly related to our ability to accept him for who he is, what he says, and the life that he offers to us. And in our culture, I just, you know, I'm going to talk about AI this morning, Sean. Um, actually, the quote from 
the guy who's sort of the pioneer, it's my first application in my reading glasses, um, Sam Altman, who's the uh, founder of um, OpenAI, sort of the, the pioneer leader in the area of um, large language models or AI, chat GPT. This is his quote recently. Some people suspect that our world is getting worse, and for good reason. The only way that I know to return to that sense of optimism and that growth and just, is the use of technology to create abundance. So my question is, what is abundance in his definition? What does he mean by that? And if abundance means isolation, relational separation, tribalism, I want to know what we're doing in our society right now. We're, we're absorbing so much information that we no longer have the ability to process what is true and what is right. And we've become the type of people who just react to each other. And I want to just suggest to you that that is very similar to beasts. That's what animals do. They react to each other. There's no sense of compassion or understanding. That's not abundance. Loneliness is not abundance. So my question is, how in the world does technology create abundance in the way that Jesus describes abundance? And that's what we're here to understand. And that's what is finding factor of what it means to be a Christian. Because Jesus says from this point forward, and what is it? Absorb information and create a life of abundance. That's not what it is. <laughs> love one another. By this they will know that you are my followers, that you love one another. So um, as we know, we lost. I forgot to turn my timer on. So somebody wave at me when I'm getting close to the end here. Um, we lost one of our great Christian thinkers and leaders recently, uh, Tim Keller. I know he's a loved uh, teacher here at Grace. Um, I spent some time with Tim Keller this week and listening to his sermons and reading a bit about what he had to say about this part of Scripture. And in classic Tim Keller fashion, he made something complex incredibly simple. And as Jesus takes these disciples on a journey, he's taking us on the exact same journey. As our expectations coming into this morning, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what the outcome of that would be in that moment, Tim Keller says something that's so profound that I want to share with you. And this is the difference between a... a artificial intelligence world that's full of technology and that sense of abundance and what Jesus is inviting us to. The world's version of this is a closed system. And really what's happening is we're starting to get to the point where we're at capacity for creativity. We no longer can generate new ideas or new thoughts. All that's happening is we're starting to just search information that exists already. There's nothing new. There's no sense of creativity. It's a closed system. And I want you to imagine for a moment a pond with no running water. 
no renewed, refreshing stream into that pond. You know what happens in that pond? It becomes putrid. It starts to become foul, and it, and it kills the things that at one point it gave life to. And what's different about Christianity and what Jesus says in this moment is Christianity is revelation. It is God revealing himself to his creation in the person of Jesus as a relational God that longs to redeem and to save. It is a revelation of himself. We didn't generate it on our own. We can't describe it or define it completely on our own. God himself reveals himself personally through his son. And so when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, that is a personal appeal to you. We can't change that. So let me give you an illustration. Some of you are married in this room. Uh, Some of you are about to be married in this room. Uh, I have a daughter that's about to be married in this room. So marriage is like on my mind a lot recently. And uh, it's caused me to reflect on my own marriage. My wife here yet? I don't think I asked for her permission to <laughs> tell the stories here. You're good if I tell this story, right? You don't know what story it is, but I think you'll be okay. Um, <laughs> it's good. It's, it's all bad for me. It's all good for her. So I'm sure she's going to be okay with this story. So for the first number of years of our marriage, um, I litigated in arguments. So I'm sure some of you guys might know what I mean by this. I just wanted to be right. And it, I didn't really care. I thought I cared, but I didn't really care of, or acknowledge the damage that that caused. I just, I just wanted to be right. And in trying to be right, I missed Melanie's revelation of herself what she needed, and what intimacy was to her. And so for years, it was about being right. And I felt good about being right. But at some point, I realized, by God's grace, that the loss of intimate friendship and relationship with my wife was catastrophic compared to the possibility of being right. Not being connected was way more destructive to my soul than an argument. And I just, I I say that to you because that is the Christian life. God has revealed himself to us through his son. And he defines the terms in that revelation. We can't go back to God and say, well, (laughs) you know, this can't be the only way. This can't be the only truth. He defines what is true and what is right to have a relationship with him. And so the question that we have to ask is, where does the encounter with Jesus that he wants to have with us, what is it rubbing up against in our own life? Um, I tend to go off script a little bit. I'm going to right now. Because I can Uh, (laughs) Where you sit right now, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know the area. You know the place where God is saying, 
Will you let me love you in this spot? Will you you let me change your expectation of what it looks like to follow me? Our capacity for intimacy with our Savior is related to our ability to give up control of what he wants to give us. And discipline and what we experience as hardship is actually the Father loving us because he loves us too much to give us what we think we need. So what is that area for you? Revelation is personal. Christianity is fundamentally a revelation of God himself personally through his son Jesus. Jesus is the perfection of everything that God has been planning since the Old Testament. He is the prophet, he's the priest, he is the king, which means he speaks the absolute truth of the Father on his behalf. He is the priest and that he is the mediator between God and man. He is the perfecter of that and the last one that there will be. And he's king. So as we think about these people coming in from Colombia, I don't care whether they come to the USA or anywhere else. You know where I want them to come? To Jesus. And if we are believers in this country, we will accept them and love them and we will minister to them. And we will get behind what you're talking about. This is not a political agenda. This is the agenda of God's kingdom on earth. You know what I see when I look at you? I see the kingdom of God in all of its beauty and glory and potential. And putting myself in your chair right now, I see so much unrealized. You know, the challenge of being a leader is that I can't lead you to places I'm not willing to go myself. And God is calling us as a church, as an elder board, and me personally as a leader, as hard as it is to admit I'm a leader, um, to a new place. We are the kingdom of God in this time, in this moment, right now. God has ordained for us to be here right now. And we are at his kingdom at a crossroads. We are a community of God's people. And our capacity to love and to impact those around us and to impact one another and to be generous and kind and patient and filled with joy and love and self-control is directly related to our giving up of control of our expectations of what that means. It means putting to death ourselves. God is sovereign. God is moving. And I love the way that uh, Trevor summed this up Wednesday night at the senior send-off. It's a quote by Dallas Willard, um, who some of you may know is also passed along. Um, We are a church that's founded on grace. This is not Dallas Willard's quote, by the way. This is a preface to it. Um, We are a church that's founded on grace, as is the entire Christian religion and relationship that I'm talking about. It is a revelation of God's personality to us as Redeemer, and it's a free gift. 
And God, in his grace, is opposed to you earning anything related to that. It is a gift. But he is not opposed to your effort. In the same way in a marriage, it requires effort. But the effort is driven by love and a longing for the good of your partner. And in so doing, you receiving the benefit of the good of your partner. Obedience to Jesus and the effort that that requires and the death to self that it will inevitably require is an act of love. It's an act of love to the Father through his Son by the power of the Spirit. And I will go back to the original point and the big idea. You know exactly where that is in your life. And I want to encourage you, and I want to say this gently, that Jesus is so relentless in his pursuit of you. He will not give up. Not because he necessarily wants to just correct the behavior, but because he sees the behavior is inhibiting intimacy with him, which is abundance. That's what you want. That is what you long for. So where I want to just make this personal because anybody can get up here and talk about this. Um, personally, I want to tell you where this is affecting my life. I can't lead to places I'm unwilling to go, and um, I'm okay telling you where I'm going. There's been two areas in my life where Jesus and my encounters with him have been consistently chipping away, and um, I think now making... Some, some headway. Uh, one, and, and let me just preface this by saying, um, I'm going to war in my life against generational sin. I'm going to war. Because I, I love Jesus. And I love my family. And how can I continue if those two things are the devoted, passionate love of my life? And so I'm going to war, and there's two areas. One um, is shame and guilt. Uh, that's been the, the currency in my heart for a really long time. You know, not being enough, uh, or you know, whatever form that takes. But for me, it's, you know, it's that dialogue in my head, and it's shame and guilt. And it's been this sort of like currency to try to prove or somehow be good enough or, you know, smart enough or valuable enough or any of the enoughs that you can think of that somehow I'm, I'm worthy. Um, I'm going to war against that. And the weapons of this, of this war are just the words of the Bible and the words of Jesus. And here's how I know that he's capturing some ground in my heart that there have been times here in our service and times personally where, you know, typically I would come with something and it would be shame and guilt. And instead, what I'm hearing is, Brian, I love you. I'm for you. I'm slow to anger and bounding in love for you. And here's the big one for me recently. My mercy, my mercies are new every morning for you. 
that he has captured me. He, he loves me. He doesn't count my sins against me. I'm free. And because of that freedom, I don't have to pretend to be more than I am or less than I am. I can be exactly who God has made me to be. And that is a mixed bag of one person actually, was, when I was doing vocational ministry, this guy named Mike Stokey is the executive pastor. He's like my direct report. And he's like, you know, Brian, you're like a nuclear bomb that's about to go off, but like a good nuclear bomb. I was like, <laughs> I don't quite know what that means. Um, but, but God is applying to my heart gentleness. And so for you this morning who may be experiencing shame and guilt, I want you to know that um, that's not of the Lord. You are released from that. You're free. Have you ever watched children play? When my wife is sometimes coming home, we'll see kids leaving school, young kids, and they're on their little scooters, and you see it in their face. It's like it's the best day ever for them to be on their scooters and to play. My prayer for you is that God would renew in your heart the spirit and joy of a child because you're free. Your father loves you. He has your needs cared for. You are forgiven and you are released to be joyful and cared for and protected and loved in his kingdom here on this earth. You are free from shame and guilt. The second area kind of goes along with it. It's just materialism. It's just the, the stuff that I acquire or want to acquire that somehow gives me a sense of value in the community and the time that we live in. And I, I want you to know I'm so tired of that. It's so fake. And, and so what's happening in my life is that it's, it sounds counterintuitive, but it's liberating. I've embraced a posture of poverty in solidarity with my Savior. In that, I should not expect anything more from this world than what our Creator in the flesh received from this world. Why would I expect anything more than He was given? And anything above that it's just like, how can I, what does it look like to be generous with this? But in, in embracing that, there's actually fellowship with him and there's freedom from the expectation to be something more than we actually are. And so I'm going to war in those areas. And as uh, I do that, it means I have to be honest with it, with other people around me. When I say encounters with Jesus, that means encounters with one another and Jesus working through us, and that is the way it happens in a local church. So, what is the uh, call to action for you? I can't answer that for you, but you are in the process of answering it for yourself right now. And the question and the challenge for you is, what does that look like? I wanna give you one step. It's just one step and it's simple. The one step is, Tell someone. Confession. Tell someone. Be honest. Somebody that you trust, somebody that's a fellow believer, and confess it. Second, 
I said I was going to give you one thing, it's two. The second, they kind of go together, uh, is repentance. Turn from it. Whatever it is in your life right now that is keeping you from the encounter with Jesus that's being described in this book, get rid of it. Run from it. Destroy it. Go to war with it. Because ultimately, every time you and I make that decision, we are saying with our action, I actually love this thing slightly more. I think I've had enough of you, Jesus. And when we talk about faith, this is faith to embrace those things and trust that Jesus has something for you in that confession and repentance that is more than you could possibly imagine. It is intimacy with him. So as we close, um, I want to just invite you to welcome an uncomfortable and yet healing encounter with your Savior. When he says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, he means it. When he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, he means it. And I want to just give you a vision of what this looks like. When he says, you can pray anything that you want in my name and I'll give it to you, it's because we become the kind of people he can trust to answer those kinds of prayers. We become stewards of his power and his presence here on earth. And in doing that, we have intimacy with him as we work with him and amongst his people on this, on this, um, this culture that we're, that we're involved in right now. Uh, let's close in prayer. Uh, Jesus, you have told us we can pray for anything and that you will give it to us for your name's sake. And I can't imagine anything more that you would want to give to us than yourself. You've already proven that on the cross. And so I pray that every day as we encounter our own sin and weaknesses and shortcomings, that in those moments we give it to you. We're not going to be perfect. We know that. But you are perfect. Your mercies are new for us every morning. You are kind. You are gentle. But you are both the lion and the lamb. You are, you are fierce in the areas where you want to protect us from ourselves. And you are gentle and kind and forgiving and long-suffering in the areas where we are weak and we need you. So help us to see you as you are and to love you as you are, worship, and to respond to you as you are, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.